And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And good morning, and you may please be seated. Welcome here on a beautiful day. Our temperature's recovering a little bit uh, from Friday's uh, sucker punch. <laughs> woke, woke up on a pleasant morning and went to work in short sleeves and came home thinking, what was I thinking? But uh, this morning, I'd like this to, over the next few moments, uh, consider t- today's readings and the ideas they convey, and perhaps an, an application uh, that we've not, we've not seen before and one that we can bring in, into our lives. Because this, this, these passages are, they are not shocking new revelations, but what they are are very elemental truths that when we apply the lessons to our lives, uh, we find out it will do well with us. So I'm going to open with perhaps the understatement of, of the Testament in which we live in, and that's that we worship a big God. We worship a very big God. I think of Rich Mullins's breakout worship song, Awesome God. Uh, I think of some other songs that came out in the, in the 90s that, that brought that truth home. But the truth is that we worship a big God and we worship a God who is too great and too grand to try to describe in, in a word or two. Now, this may work as when we're children, uh, when, when we're little ones and they ask us, what, what is God? What is God like? And in a, in a four-year-old, five-year-old uh, mentality, we, we give a sincere, however very cursory description of what God is. But while this works for us, this will work when we're children, uh, as we come to adulthood, adults won't trade in this type of oversimplification. And in fact, we who, who followed after God and began to grow in him soon learn that not only is a single word description of God paltry and woefully inaccurate, we soon learn that the totality of all the human languages ever spoken on this planet far, far short in being able to truly describe our God. But now, in spite of this, faithful saints over the years have learned to describe God in what I'm calling attributional standpoints. Uh, and and if, in these attributional standpoint uh, descriptions will faithfully albeit briefly and cursorily, uh, describe God and who he is. Uh, And effectively, they capture his character in a cogent statement, uh, which is why we can can talk about the attributes of God and speaking as God is holy, God is just, God is love, statements uh, like that. And as as we look at these, these, these attributes... Something we begin to draw out of this, we see a deity, 
our supreme being, our God, is, is, is one who is a relational being. He's not one that is aloof and far off. Uh, he's not the God behind the glass that says, in case of emergency, break glass. Uh, he is a God whose desire is to relate with his creation. And we also begin to see how in this, in this relational desire and the relational attribute of, of our God, we, we begin to see how he has spoken his story into the heavens. It's for that reason that David declared that the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, we, we see the natural revelation of God when we look at a night sky back in a time before light pollution, uh, back in a time before uh, an overabundance of haze. You could look up into the sky in the night and you could see the, per the jewels that the Lord took by his mighty hand and scattered against the black velvet of the abyss and how that shined out to, for all to see. Uh, and because... And, and to take this a step further, because we are made in the spiritual image of God and we share many of those spiritual attributes, just as God is relational and desires to communicate with his creation, we have been made re relational and fashioned in the same way and created as rational people who love stories. I'll bet some of the earliest memories that you go back are memories of stories. Uh, and it's for this reason that, that because we are made to be relational, that we do love stories. Uh, it's one of the reasons that grandchildren fit so perfectly in their grandparents' lap when they love to just cuddle up and hear, hear Poppy or Nana tell a story. Uh, and stories shared between generations. And this was the natural medium for God's story to be shared long before the first stylus was pushed into moist clay or long before the first quill was dipped in ink and applied to papyrus. The story of God was, was oral, auricular, and it was shared generation to generation, group to group. And in fact, we, we see, we, we see as, as we begin to read more that not only was this the, the modus operandi for bringing God's truth out, we begin to read that this was commanded by God, that this is how his story would be transmitted uh, across. Now, there are stories that we love hearing over and over again for reasons that range from the humorous to the inspiring. Think about it. There, you know a dumb joke that is so dumb, but yet you can't help but want to, you can't help love hearing it over and over again. Uh, it's, it's like uh, what, 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 what Larry the Cable Guy said about one dumb story. He said, this never gets old. And that's one of the reasons why we, we love those. There's a dumb joke that we, we love to hear over and over again. 
And conversely, there may be an inspiring story, a soul-stirring soul story that, that fortifies us and one we, we, we need to hear uh, to be inspired and encouraged in moments where our souls need to be bolstered. But then, there are those stories which we're commanded to hear and share. And this is where we find ourselves beginning in, in today's Old Testament reading out of Deuteronomy. Where we see Israel standing on the cusp between a generation of wandering in the wilderness, wasteland, of the Sinai, Sinai rather, and the verdant promised lands that were just beyond the Jordan River. Now, the scene unfolds. There are only two in this band of, of likely two million uh, Hebrews or more that knew anything beyond wandering in the wilderness. It was their whole life. And we, we know this, this was because the, the, the lion's share of Israel chose not to believe God. And God gave them the desires of their heart and allowed them to perish in, in the dry wastes of, of the Sinai. Again, only Joshua and Cain knew anything beyond the grind of the wilderness. So all that was there would have to hear the story of the Exodus afresh before they go forward. In fact, the ostensible meaning of, Deut of Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy is loosely defined as the second giving of God's law. First time it was given, uh, those who were in presence were, were not of, of accountable mind or age that they, they could comprehend or could they give assent to, to the covenant which Israel swore to. Israel needed to hear it again. Here again are the boundless love of the Almighty who created them out of the elements of the earth, who delivered them from the empire of Egypt and preserved them through generational wandering in the desert. Speaking to this, Moses asks, beginning in 432, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since that day God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing has ever occurred, happened, or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice, the voice of a God speaking out in the midst of the fire as you have and still live? Or has any God attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, signs, wonders, and by war, by mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by the great deeds of terror, all which the Lord did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Telling, telling this story was codified into an act of worship. And this, this, the genesis of this stretches into our day. What, consider what our worship service is. Not only, the, not only the liturgy of, 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 of the Eucharist, but another, the significant second component of our, our worship is the liturgy of the word, where every Sunday 
we gather to tell, tell and to hear the story afresh. And we, we see later in, in Deuteronomy how God, how God codified this as he begins to say in, in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in 5, You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words which I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them dil diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and you rise. Which is why a major component of our, our prayers, when we first come back into, into the consciousness of the, of the daytime, is to consider the, the glories of God and His grace and what He has done for us. And at day's end, when, when we're physically blowing taps and getting ready to pound the pillow, the last thoughts on our mind are the story of God and his grace and how he preserved us through this day, how he answered prayers. Uh, that's, that, that's, we see this. Uh, but I would, I would posit this morning, uh, we find ourselves getting in trouble more than not, when we forget the story. Doesn't matter whether you're an 18-year-old Airman Basic and, and Sergeant Lipscomb is about ready to come down on your word with two, two tap-shoed core fams, or Sergeant Douglas is about to rock your world with his combat boots, or when we are pulled over by Officer Friendly out here on 95. We find ourselves in that trouble because we have forgot the story. We forgot the story that said, hey, you're supposed to drive 65, not 85. We, come, we find ourselves in that trouble because we failed to remember that the drill sergeant said, you fold your undershirts in four-inch squares, not five-inch squares. You know, I used, I used to wonder, I said, what, what, was the, what was the big hairy deal about that? And, and in all eternity, and in the, in the playing out of, of my life in the military, what is so all-fired and for, important about a four-inch square? Well, somewhere, uh, maybe about the third or fourth year of, of my life as, as, a, as a, a junior sergeant, in the Air Force, Buck Sergeant, it dawned on me that when the maintenance manual said you were to torque the engine cowling bolts to this PSI and not less and not more, it's because if you are not paying attention to that, that story that says 20 PSI, would mean the difference between the cowling falling into the engine and the engine flaming out or some other catastrophe. And in like fashion, uh, God's story is ultimately for our good and ultimately for our glory as, as we follow it. But we can, we can recognize a second type of hearer today in our readings. 
And this being the one that was identified as the Lord Chamberlain of Queen Candace. Now, while St. Luke doesn't give give his name, which clearly we know he had to have a name, and only describes him as a eunuch, Luke does speak to his position as, as treasurer of a kingdom whose influence was literally felt on both sides of the Persian Gulf from the Horn of Africa into what we know today, modern day, is, is Yemen. Uh, we encounter this man on the side of a desert highway reading the prophet Isaiah. And now... I don't want to wade into conjecture because I have heard conjecture that would make your hair curl. It, it is so wild-eyed. Uh, I, would, I would simply guess that perhaps because he was a diplomat, as he was traveling between Jerusalem and, and Ethiopia, that somehow he managed to acquire this scroll of... Of, of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, he, he was a learned man uh, because clearly he was one who could read uh, the writings of the scroll. But what we do know is we, we see him. He, he is sitting beside the side of the road and he's reading. And as, 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 as if you or I were reading, when, when we read to learn, questions immediately begin to form in our minds. Uh, questions that he couldn't he couldn't ask her, and he was he was encountering God's story, perhaps for the very first time. But yet, he as he encountered this story, it was without context, or the Holy Spirit's illumination, and thus uh, we could uh, we we could conclude that he the. The, the circuit was not being closed, and he was gaining no understanding. Now, any one of us in here who, who, is, is, who is literate, uh, we could probably pick up a piece of Spanish, and we could probably read, sight read what we're saying, all the while having no idea what in the world is on that paper. And this is where, we, where, the, where the eunuch finds himself at, at this point. Uh, but yet, even though he couldn't close the circuit on his own, God is faithful. God is faithful, and through the agency of the Holy Spirit and the obedience of Philip, this man was able to successfully hear the story for the first time, perhaps, and was able to respond to it. When the man heard and answered the story's call, uh, later, no doubt, he, sh he took this story home and shared the story with family, with friends, with acquaintances uh, that, that he'd known. And in thus, in thus in this, his life became multiplying seed. Multiplying seed that would History would show that in two centuries, Ethiopia would become only the second nation on planet Earth to, to embrace Christ and his gospel, the first being Ar Armenia. Now, few of us are ever called to a ministry of Moses where, where we're 
where we are called to lead people from bondage and into a land of, of promise. But I would contend this morning that all of us have been called to the ministry of Philip. And that, that any one of us can be blessed to share the story. And no doubt, as, as I look across the room today, I'm confident that many of you have shared the story and are sharing the story in your life with, with those, those around you. But we understand that, well, this is a blessing. There is a caveat that we're, we're going to see in, in the next example. We have to remember, uh, you know, there's, there's the expre expression to, in today's economy which says, fake it till you make it. I'm, I'm sorry, church, when it comes to the word of God and God's truth, we can't share what we don't possess. If, if we don't know God's story, we can't share God's story. We can share something. I mean, it may look like Joseph, Joseph Smith or Brigham Young's story by the time it gets, it gets turned on its side. But if the story of God does, doesn't dwell in our heart, that's, that's a dry well. There, there is no water of li, uh, living water coming out of that. And sometimes we've learned that there are those who are believing that they know the story have yet missed the story in its entirety. Our gospel, uh, the, the, the setting for our gospel, takes us back to a story, Judean night around 3 BC, the, the moment the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. A relatively few were aware of the monumental of events that were happening <coughs> that night as, as the sky opened up and the heavenly hosts sang. And the, the shepherds came to worship the, the new child in, in the manger. But what happened, relatively few were aware of this in, in, in scale and by comparison. And that divine child who was made flesh and dwelled among us quickly blended into the background as just a, another handsome little boy in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, and for a, for a season in Egypt. Uh, yet, in three short decades, the child would reemerge as a man along the Jordan River, being baptized by John, and it was at this moment that people were wanting to know more of him, including the Jewish leaders. We know as we read the story of, of John's baptism, we see that there, there was a cornucopia of, of society was there. From ne'er-do-wells to soldiers to crooks, even to the religious establishment who may have been doing little more than folding their arms and going harumph at the, at the ministry of John. You know, I... One, one of my favorite human reactions is that harumph. <laughs> but as, you know, they were there. In, particularly, in particular, there was one Jewish leader who was in the crowd. And I suspect that he wasn't going harumph. 
and that he was drawn out, out of serious curiosity that he wanted to know more. To be counted among the Sanhedrin, as, as Nicodemus was, was to be numbered around the most esteemed individuals of, of Israel of that day. What does it mean? There were two degrees, two levels of, of Sanhedrin. There were the lower San, Sanhedrin, and it's not saying they, they were less holy. It's just saying it just spoke to the, the agency of their ministry where you found lower Sanhedrin in every Jewish community. And every functioning synagogue had members of this lower Sanhedrin. Then you had the upper Sanhedrin who were found there in Jerusalem in the temple. Who were these people? It was an interesting mix. This, this upper Sanhedrin were made of priests. They were made of Levites. They were even made of laymen, if you'll have it, who came from respectable, respectable devout, observant homes. They were the ones who literally, uh, if we look into our modern society, uh, you may be familiar, if, if you're familiar with uh, the Hasidic Jewish circles or other Orthodox circles of Judaism, you may have heard the expression, the Beit Din. I don't know if anybody knows that expression. The Beit Din function today much as the way the Sanhedrin of that day uh, function, albeit today. I don't believe our Beit Dean has uh, the authority to, to enact capital, uh, capital punishment. Or at it, they may do it once. They won't do it a second time, I, I promise. But, you know, the, these were individuals who were responsible ultimately for the spiritual life and health of, of Israel. And, you know, while we, tend to, uh, while we tend to think of many of the Sanhedrin in, in a bad light, we have to remember that for every, for every Caiaphas, for every Annas, there was at least one Joseph of Arimathea or one Nicodemus, men who truly loved, loved God. And what we have to wonder, and Scripture is silent on this, at this moment, we know that Nicodemus comes to seek out Jesus. Now, what we don't know, and I won't conjecture, we don't know if he was deputized by the body of the Sanhedrin saying, hey, you drew the short straw, Nick. I want you to go see this Jesus guy and figure him out. Or Nicodemus may very well have been moved by, by the Spirit of God and diligently sought Jesus out that he could, he could learn from him. Now, Jesus quickly discerned something uh, because as, as, he, as he went out there, Nicodemus sought Jesus out in the full knowledge that he was anointed of God. Nicodemus did not have any illusions of who this man Jesus Christ was. He knew that he was the anointed of God who had come to Israel. And Jesus quickly dis discerned, though, 
that for all Nicodemus is learning, for all Nicodemus is uh, earnestness, he was out of his depth. And it's at this point that Jesus, in his love for Nicodemus, takes the old teacher back to school so he could have a little remedial training just to teach him the lesson afresh where we see the words of, of Jesus at beginning in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you that we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in, in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that who, so whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus wasn't a bad man. Nicodemus was a fallen man. And for all his pedigree and for all his earnestness, he was still a man who was in need of a redeemer. In truth, we, you know, we may not think about this, but in, in practical truth, the high priestly Nicodemus was every bit as lost as the woman who was caught in adultery that day. Somebody who was in need. But we know, we know that Nicodemus would be converted. He would come to a faith in Jesus. And we know that that faith found a supernatural boldness on the day that the fury of hell was, was, was released against the Son of Man. And when the very planet was, was being riven by judgment, the day that the 12, those who had healed the sick, those who had driven out demons, those who had walked on water were now hiding. They, they were in duck and cover mode, making sure that they weren't next to get nailed to a cross. But it was in that moment, Nicodemus, and Joseph, in a supernatural boldness, approached Pilate to ask for custody of Jesus' remains that they could give it a proper, proper burial. So now, I saved Nicodemus for last because I believe that he, Nicodemus, of all the individuals in here, should give us pause for self-examination. Are we in a season where there are those who are looking to us to know God's grand story? Have we been faithful stewards to this story? Or have we, through carelessness or laziness, forgotten or lost this treasure? I'll contend today, too, and while I don't pretend to be a prophet or speak in the, in the prophetic voice, it's a sad truth that we live in a world today where many are laying aside the story of God as something irrelevant. It's something that was for another time, something that's not hip, something that's not in, 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 inclusive. Well, it's not inclusive for a reason, but it... It, the paradox of, of God's story, it, it, it is 
the least inclusive of messages, yet the most inclusive of, all me of any message that's ever been proclaimed on this planet. For whosoever will believe may come to eternal life. That is the story. That's the one we've been entrusted to share. So I would, I would invite you, I would challenge you today that let us, in the full measure of grace that we've received, the full measure of faith that we've been entrusted to, let us purpose ourselves to be faithful messengers of Christ, faithful couriers of the story, that we could carry the story to our world and that our, those hearers will do those same and beyond. And as Paul spoke of Timothy, that we would see that the, the gifts be fanned afresh in our lives and in the world around us and, and those we have been given charge over in, in the, with the gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.